Amen. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 as we look at uh, the story of the church as it was going forth and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And what he has told us in chapter 11 is about how everything has gone so well, at least at Antioch. I mean, yes, they had issues over whether or not the Gentiles could be actively pursued and and all the questions that came with that, but they had settled those things. And the scripture had said that this church at Antioch was just growing, that Saul and Barnabas were there and they were teaching and the people were being discipled. They were first called Christians. So when you leave chapter 11, you are almost excited about the work that God is doing among his church. I mean, it is awesome. It is the vibrant days of the gospel's advance. Then you run into chapter 12, where Dr. Luke reminds us of the harsh reality of living in a fallen world. And he reminds us of the reality that the church living in a fallen world will face opposition. And sometimes that opposition will be violence. Notice what he says. He says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hands to harass some of, from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. I want you to see that transition that Luke makes. He gives you the excitement of the church growth. And then he gives you the reality of opposition that the church faced. And you know, as we think about it, we live in that same kind of world. There are absolutely days where we celebrate how God is working and we see his spirit moving and we see the expansion of his kingdom. We see those days, don't we? And those are great days to celebrate. But we also know that as we live in the world in which we do, Satan and his forces, evil abounds. And it seems that it comes against his church. And here, it comes in the form of the sanctioned government, Herod. Now, this is Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I. And he has come from a very violent family. We'll talk more about them next week when we come together. But for this purpose tonight, let me just just say to you that Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of Herod the Great. And he had seen violence, obviously, in his own family. His father had been killed by his grandfather, Herod the Great, because Herod had thought that his son one day might try to pursue the throne, so he just eliminated the threat. Herod Agrippa I had been sent to Rome, and he was raised there among a lot of other people that would come to authority. He would come to know Caligula, who would be the emperor, he would be a classmate of Claudius. And because of those relationships, he would find himself one day ruling basically 
the same kingdom that his grandfather had. Up until that time, the, the, the empire, that area had been split into different places, different areas in which to be ruled by the Herods or by the Roman governor. But now, because of the way he had worked his relationships and the influence from Rome, they had brought it together and he was ruling an area that was very similar to his grandfather's. He had achieved great things, it seemed, because of his influence, because he was always trying to please someone else. He was trying to keep the Romans happy. And in order to keep the Romans happy, he had to keep the Jews happy as well. He didn't want any kind of unrest among his people because if they challenged him, then he might lose the place of authority. So what did he do? He began to persecute the church. Here it says that he stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Literally, it's the idea that he extended hands of violence toward the church. Hands of violence toward the church in such a way that he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. James, the son of Zebedee, the disciple, he was actually killed, martyred by Herod Agrippa I. Scripture says, with a sword. If he used the Roman way, that would have been beheading. If he had followed the Jewish customs, that would have been just the sword running through James. Either way, the disciple was dead. And when Herod Agrippa saw that this had really pleased the Jews and he wanted to stay in good with them so he would, could stay in good with the Romans so that he could stay in power, he decided why not go after Peter. And he imprisoned him. It says here that he was arrested and because of the feast of unleavened bread, because of the activities of the Jews, not wanting to do anything around this time, he just placed him in prison. For Four squads. When you do the numbers, when you do the math, basically four groups of four. Like 16 soldiers or so that are guarding him. Now, again, when you read these first few verses of chapter 12, you've got for, for a moment to stop and feel how disheartening this is in the growth of the kingdom and the experience of the church. Church can have some bad days. God never said we wouldn't. No matter what you've heard lately on television, God never said that our lives would be always content or always happy. He never said we would be removed from trouble. Never said that. As a matter of fact, if you're a believer, oftentimes that conflict, that hostility with the world will be magnified. And here, the church must have really, they must have really been experiencing sorrow. Can you imagine? One of the disciples is gone. Peter, Peter who spoke the day of Pentecost, who had been the spokesman, if you will, of the disciples. Peter, he was in prison. 
There must have been so many questions. I mean, I try to go back and, and put myself in the early church's shoes. But it, it's hard to do, but I try to do that. To be able to experience the emotion that they did. And the sense of despair that must have overwhelmed them. Can you imagine? I mean, this is a fledgling church. It's only been going for some time. This perhaps is around A.D. 43. or so A.D. 43. So maybe about, let's say, 10 years, 12 years, somewhere in there. That's it. And now one of your leaders has already been killed in this process, in this time. And now your spokesman, he's imprisoned. And they're just waiting for the day to where he's going to be killed as well. Discouragement had to settle in. Pain of that church. But may I say this to you. When things look bad, look up. When things look bad, look up. Because it looks bad. I mean, if you're talking about the advancement of the church here, you begin to question. You begin to question whether or not the church itself can exist under such intense pressure and hostility. And you begin to ask yourself all kinds of questions. And, and it is looking bad. But the church looks up. And Dr. Luke reminds us as he writes in these next few verses of how God comes through for his people. Notice what he says in verse 5. So Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. In other words, they were coming together constantly regularly and they were praying for peter they were praying that god would intervene they believed in him they they prayed that god would somehow free peter so they were constantly praying we're going to get back to that in a moment but look in verse six and when herod was about to bring him out that night peter was sleeping so get this dr luke builds the drama for us okay for all these nights, he's there. They're just waiting. And God waits purposely until the night before the execution. God's timing, right? I mean, the drama builds. Peter's about to be sacrificed just as James was. But on the night before, God's timing, he, he's there. Don't, don't you wish sometimes God would show up a little earlier? I mean, I'll be honest. I, I've, I've said times before, God, just come now. Do some things now. Work now. And in the end, I'm so thankful that God does not just simply allow me to dictate things. Because God's timing so much better than mine. Because 
as he waits, as the drama builds, what God is doing is impressing upon his church, his people, the need for them to pray. And eventually the answer of how he is going to deliver his disciples. Here they are. A lot of times God grows us through the painful times of life. Right? He allows us to experience it so that we can build our faith. So it's the night before. Oh, did you see what's happening too? What's Peter doing? He's frantic. He's running around the cell. He's trying to get out. It's not Peter. Peter is a man after my own heart. He's just sleeping. You've got to say something about the assurance of old Peter here. Confidence. One way or the other, it's as though Peter knows he's okay. Right? It's like those three Hebrew children. When they were going to be tossed into that fiery furnace, if you read the story, basically what they say to them, they say to old Nebuchadnezzar is, we're going to be fine. Now, they didn't know for sure that they were going to be delivered physically out of it. But they knew they were going to be delivered from Nebuchadnezzar. And if you read that, they basically say, we're going to be fine one way or the other. We're good with this. And Peter approaches this night with that same confidence that he can lay down and go to sleep. No sleep aids. No prescribed medication. The peace of God brings rest the confidence and the assurance of God brings sleep and it says that he was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison now behold an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying arise quickly and his chains fell off his hands. And then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, John Polhill suggests there's almost a comic value in this scene, in this narrative. Because notice how the angel comes. It's as though he strikes Peter in some way to wake him up. And then he has to give him like uh, instruction little by little of what he should do. It reminds me of the mornings at my household sometimes. Leslie could express it to you much better than I could. My boys, for example, they love to sleep. They are good sleepers. They inherited it well as we passed it to them. And it is hard to get them up some mornings. Any of you identify with me on this? You can kind of say, hey, Rhett, get up. There will be no activity. You say, hey, y'all need to get up. <clears throat> you may even have to go in and touch them. You may have to stand them up on the floor. You may have to rub water in their eyes. 
But that's almost the picture you get of Peter here. The angel has to strike him, whatever else. It's almost like the angel just kind of, hey, Peter, get up. What are you doing? Get up. He says, gird yourself and tie your sandals. In other words, put your shoes on, get yourself together. Sound like you're mourning again, huh? Not only do you have to tell them to get up, you got to give them instruction along the way. Put your shoes on. Put your belt on. That's what the angel's doing here. He says, get yourself together. And he did. And then he said to him, okay, now we're going outside to stay to put on your garment and follow me. So he leads him step by step here. He gives him these instructions and step by step he brings him out. And it says that Peter really didn't even know this was real. I mean, he knew he was sleeping and he was resting well and he thought maybe this was just a dream or a vision. Verse 10, it says, When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. So they go through two different posts and they come to this big iron gate that's there and it just simply opens and they went out and went down on one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, it's as though it's like when Peter realized that this wasn't just a dream, when it wasn't just a vision, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Peter knew. Oh, Peter had had confidence and he'd had assurance and he knew God was going to work in his own way, but now he was able to see this is how God was working. This was the angel from the Lord. This was not a dream. This was reality. Once here he had been in prison, and now he was free. Well, verse 12 says, So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. So John Mark's mom's house, where many believe that a local church had been established, and they were uh, praying, and they were lifting up. Maybe it was known as a prayer gathering area. It says that here they were praying. Verse 13, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. Rhoda, very uh, synonymous or with servant girls back then. That name was used. It was a very common name. It meant something like Rose. It says she comes to the door to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Again, I think Dr. Luke is trying to give us a little bit of a comic relief here, okay? He's just, and he's trying to show us how excited this young girl was. All right, so here she is. Peter's at the door or at the gate. She's keeping the gate most likely because she's a servant girl. She's there. She says, who is it? It's Peter. Peter, 
I, no, Peter, you're in print. No, it's Peter. I got out. And she recognizes his voice. And the gladness, the joy just wells up in her. She forgets to let him in. She runs back to tell everybody else the, the great news. It says in verse 15, but they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. So get this. They're in there praying. They've been praying for Peter's release. But this tells me they're a Baptist church. Because they prayed for something. And when it happens, they don't believe it really happened. Right? I mean, they had been praying. They had been praying for Peter's release. He is there. And they're, they, they can't be. Rhoda, you're crazy. Or at the very least, it's his angel. Either way, it's not Peter in physical form. So they reason it out. See, that's what we do a lot of times. We pray for something, and I'm not sure we really expect God to answer it. Can we confess our guilt on that? Oh, we pray, but I'm not sure we really expect God to answer it. And they're praying, and they're surprised, and they try to explain it away. Either in the momentary insanity of this girl, or by their old Jewish theology. Because you see, in that day and age, according to their Jewish thought at least, they believed that each person was assigned a guardian angel. And each person's guardian angel it often resembled that person. That's kind of a sad thought, isn't it? I'm, that's kind of scary to think there might be a guardian angel out there that looks like Reggie Bridges. That just kind of bothers me a little bit. I just thought about it. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud, but it just hit me when I was speaking. Oh. It says, so they take a little bit of their old Jewish custom and ritual and they say, ah, it's got to be his guardian angel. He's dead, obviously, and... This guardian angel's here now and explain it away. Now, see, when things look bad, they did look up. But I'm not sure they expected what was about to come down. So, it says in verse 16, Now, Peter continued knocking <laughs> yes he did hey i'm out here y'all are having this prayer meeting and conversation in there i'm here some have suggested that this even heightens the drama in the sense that when would the soldiers find out that peter was gone where would the soldiers be running around the streets looking for Peter? And here he is outside knocking on the door while they're inside discussing whether or not he's really at the door. So he keeps knocking. Hey, I'm here. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were 
astonished. They were astonished. You know what? When you pray and ask God to do something. He just has a way of astonishing you. He may not answer on your timetable. He may not answer in the exact way you think he will. But he will answer. And he has a way in which he can demonstrate his authority and his power and his glory when he does answer. They're astonished. It's Peter. Can you imagine the emotion that they felt at that moment? Just a few minutes before, they had been gathered together in a state of depression and sorrow. They had been thinking about James. They had been thinking about Peter and what would become. I'm sure they had exchanged all kinds of questions But now, that sorrow had turned into joy. Because Peter was there. He was free. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So here they are. Can you imagine them gathering around? They are ready to see Peter. I mean, they are wanting to embrace him. They're wanting to hug him. They're wanting to say, what's going on? And he's just like, hold on just a minute. Y'all have been talking in there while I've been standing on this street. I need to tell you something now. Let me tell you how God has delivered me. And he gives testimony of God's salvation. And then he says, you go and you tell James, the brother of Jesus, who who assumes leadership in the church at Jerusalem. He says, you go tell him and you tell the brethren. You let them know. And how this would strengthen the faith of that church. Again, God lets us go through some of the most difficult days of our lives So that our faith would be strengthened. So that our faith would be encouraged. So that we will continue to look up when things look bad. It says that he departed and went to another place. We don't know exactly where. We just know that he he just left. God had directed him. God had given him this opportunity to go. And he had gone. Some people suggest this is when he goes to Rome. I'm not convinced of that too early in his life. And I believe he just went and began his ministry in the areas that he came into. Well, it says, Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. Luke has this way of understating things. There was no small stir. 
In other words, it means there was a lot of questions, a lot of people trying to find out what has happened. There was a stir. They knew what would occur to them if they did not find Peter. So they're looking everywhere frantically for Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Because God is greater than any earthly king. God had brought deliverance. Next week we're going to talk about the true king. We're going to talk about the last few verses of this chapter. But I want you to see tonight how difficult times come. We should be ready for them. But when those difficult times come, and when things look bad, we should look up. We should pray. I heard a young preacher talking about that this morning. Wonderful message he gave. It's going to be on, I think, next Sunday at 12 o'clock. You ought to go home and catch it. Pray. And you know what? When you look up and you pray... Expect God to do something in his own way, in his own time. You don't dictate it. I don't dictate those terms. But just expect God to astonish his people. Because that's the God we serve. Who's ready for us to trust him and believe him and expect him to do things that are more than we could ever imagine. In our lives. Let's pray together. Father. Thank you. For being responsive. To the prayers of your people. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for. Helping us walk through. Difficult days. God, tonight in this place, whatever we face tomorrow, whatever we face in the next few months or years, Lord, remind us that we can do it through your authority and your power. Lord, I praise you tonight that you have said that the gates of hell themselves will not prevail against the church. And Lord, we just claim that. Father, we pray that you would help us overcome opposition and obstacles so that your kingdom would go forth. We praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we have this time of invitation?